And now I'd like to introduce our speaker for today. This morning we get to enjoy listening to one of our staff ministers, and this lady has been one of my biggest teachers and guides, and I have truly appreciated her quiet and gentle mentorship and support as she's helped me find my sole purpose. And if you've heard her before, you know you're in for a treat. Please welcome Reverend Catherine McLeod. Thank you, Sandra. So as we begin, I'd just like to invite you to take a few deep breaths and be comfortable, centered, peaceful. Centered in the soul, perhaps, with each breath. Breathing in and breathing out. Breathing in and breathing out. I relax. I breathe and allow my body to feel the chair. I allow myself to feel my breath moving in and moving out. I breathe. I come to that place of centered peace. I relax my busy mind. And I remember that I am here, present, centered in spirit. Sensitive to the noises, the music, the person on my left and my right. All is well. The goodness of life prevails. And I know that this one magnificent universe, the cosmology of creation, the stars, the majestic sun, this constantly evolving universe that has order, is intelligent, is creative, is powerful, is loving, is right where I am, in the womb of creation, right where I am. I know that all is well. I know that I am safe, loved, held, nurtured, 
I know that this talk and the words that I speak come from that place of openness, of spirit speaking through me. And so I set down any idea that I'm in control, and yet I know the truth, that I am aligned and in perfect harmony with highest good. And so I release this prayer of knowing into the universal law and mind of the one with great love and gratitude and invite you to claim it with me as together we say, and so it is. Well, it's the love in month of February and when Reverend Patrick was on his way to New Orleans, he said, your topic probably should be love since... He knows that's a topic that's dear to my heart, and it's seasonally appropriate. So there was a young man, very young man, came into a bakery just as the baker owner was closing the door. It was a wild and windy night. The rain was just one of those wind and rainy days that you couldn't help but just get absolutely soaked no matter what you were wearing. So the young man rushed in and said, Oh, thank God, I've been looking for three hours for chocolate-covered donuts for her that are just exactly like yours. And if I hadn't found them here, I was giving up. The shop owner kind of smiled, and he put them in a nice box and put a little ribbon on it and put it in a nice heavy plastic so he could make it home from the storm. And as they were going out the door together, he said to the young man, Are these for your mother? He said, are you crazy? My mother would never send me out on a night like this. And if she did, I wouldn't go. Alan Cohen says this, that if we loved ourselves and always tried to make ourselves happy and catered to ourselves like this young man was catering to his sweetheart, The universe itself would resonate with that energy and bless us and that we would come to a place of greater life and vitality and greater confidence and we would express ourselves more completely and fully. But first, we need to realize what nurture is, what makes us happy, what we want. When Norm and I were dating, and maybe, maybe we were engaged by then, we went to visit his parents, and they ran a restaurant. His dad just had this really wonderful habit. In the morning, I slept overnight, and my bedroom was right by mother's bedroom. And I heard his dad get up and start the wood stove fire. It was a cook stove back in those days. And... He lit the fire and made a cup, he made coffee, made a pot of coffee and brought it to Norm's mother as she laid in bed waiting for the house to warm up. I just thought that was the most nurturing and loving thing. And my dad didn't cook a thing and uh, would have not even made coffee and just wasn't, it just wasn't the type of person nor did they have the kind of relationship where my dad would have brought my mother a cup of coffee in bed so it really felt so special to me and so I said to Norm at some point 
That is such a nice thing that your dad does for your mom. Don't you think it'd be nice if we did that? And he said, it would. It'd be, it'd be really nice. But you need to know that I take after my mom. So funny thing, we, we got a coffee maker, not this Christmas, but the Christmas before. And it's one of those kind of newfangled ones that it, it, cut, it, it, it grinds the beans up on the top. And then the water kind of goes through and it makes your coffee. And you can set the time. It's probably, it's probably old hat to you guys who are making a cup at a time with your coffee pot. But for me, it was like quite marvelous. Norman, for the past year, well, since we got it, really, has made the coffee every night and set the timer to make itself. We can hear it buzz down below. And then we take turns going down. Well, we do take turns now. Initially, I kind of thought it was his project, and I would just let him have it. But there was a, a moment there when he kind of let me know that it was my turn and that we were going to take turns doing this. So now we take turns doing this. And it's a lovely nurturing ritual. We start the day like that. We don't put the lights on. We light a candle at the foot of our bed on my dresser, and it sort of sparkles in the mirror, and the room looks really nice. And we sit up on our pillows, and we drink our coffee, and we chat. We kind of catch up on the day. Well, it was really nice in the fall, because we were taking a class together, and we would open our homework and kind of you know, chat about what the answer would be and maybe read to each other. Often, Norma will read to me from something that's kind of a self-help spirituality Thing. And uh, sometimes we are just sitting there kind of catching up on life. And sometimes we get into a little tailspin of a fight. And he'll take a position on something, and I will know that it's a ridiculous position, and so I state my <laughs> position. And before you know it, we've ruined this nurturing, beautiful environment where it could have launched us into a day in harmony and in happiness. So I think the reason that I'm talking about relationship and love today is because after 45 years, I don't have it figured out. And as I was reading and reading and reading, I realized so many things were big ideas for me. And it took me a long time to get this talk put together because I kept just researching and reading books and books and checking out a concept to say, well, who else thinks this? So one of the people that I bumped into was Oshi. Oshi is a Zen spiritual guide. He has married Buddhism and Taoism into this teaching of Zen. And he's built a bridge, he says, to Western scientific thought. So in his book, he talks about relationship, and he says this, that you're at the beach, you see a beautiful woman, and you see all of her positive qualities, and you ask her anything, and she says yes, and she asks you anything, and you feel yes, and you just are open, and it's magnificent, and you're in harmony. It's really like you've found your soulmate. And you fall in love, and you feel that she is a goddess. But he said you choose to look at the things about her that are good and ignore the things as if they didn't exist that may be not good. And the longer you pursue the relationship, the deeper it gets. 
And if you should get to the point where you're spending 24 hours a day together, she eventually says no about something. And she gets angry about something, and you get triggered and get angry about something. And you think, this woman has betrayed me. But really, she was the good and not good all along. He just chose not to see it. And oh, she says, you don't want a goody-goody woman. You want a flesh and blood woman. You want a lover, not a goddess. And that human beings, women too, are made not by a conveyor belt or assembly line. They're made each uniquely. And they aren't made for you. They're made for themselves. They're made to express themselves, to be their whole and unique self. But when we're in this relationship, we get ourselves kind of confused and we start to look at how we'd like a change, what we think needs to be changed, and we are bitter. And we see that they have some sweetness and some bitterness. Well, I've been married for 45 years. I know this. But I'd never heard anybody sort of say it the way Oshi did, that we choose initially in the honeymoon period just not to see it. And then we are outraged when it surfaces later on in our relationship. And that doesn't have to be a romantic relationship. I've had that happen even with my really good friends, that they can do no wrong, and then somehow we've almost dropped our boundaries a little too much, and all of a sudden, they start to bug me. And then all I see is the places that they bug me. And I forget the goddess. I forget all of those wonderful thousand and one things that are there, that truly are their gift and their goodness. And I start to want to change them. That's kind of, in a nutshell, my marriage, my life, and maybe not yours. But Oshi says this. We have to get to the point where we realize that we are all kind of fragmented that we're not one thing, that we are many things, and that life is like that as well. There's all these pieces that make up a whole. And so it's a paradox. There's goodness, and there's what we would say not goodness. They both exist. They both exist in the same person. They both exist in us, and they exist in our relationships. And that the holy person, the evolved spiritual enlightened person, has come to terms with that in themselves. That every relationship is really about a relationship with ourselves and really understanding our own reality. For example, if your partner said to you, I really hate that yellow shirt you're wearing, and you were not wearing a yellow shirt, nothing about that would trigger you. But if your partner says, you know, why am I always the one doing da-da-da-da, and I don't feel this, then maybe that's your button and that would trigger you. But Oshi said, we all have a broken toe. That we can't kind of come this far in life without having something that has disappointed us from our childhood, some wound we haven't healed. And for for me, I would say there's lots of those kinds of things still in my life that I'm working on. But we... Our partner is there to kind of trigger us, to bring it up into our relationship and give us, give them, the person who's triggered, the opportunity to have a deep look at it. 
and to take responsibility for it and to eventually heal it, not cover it up for the sake of harmony, but to speak from a place of love and truth, taking the responsibility for what's come up. I have been on my spiritual journey quite a while, and I remember at a time when I was fairly new to it. I'm sorry, I've got a frog in my throat. <coughs> and uh, I attended a workshop, and it was, it was a workshop where I, people were asked to get up and talk about their life story, their whole life. So I bravely got up and wrote my life story and told my life story. And the facilitator was a woman from Chicago. She was very assertive. She was very wise. She was very powerful. She walked over to me and she put her hand out to me and she said, you need to take responsibility for your life. I was devastated. What? What do you mean? I didn't know what that even meant. I didn't even know what she was talking about. And it hurt me to the core and I felt embarrassed in front of all of my peers. But I was curious. I wondered what that meant that I needed to take responsibility for my life. I was a saint. I was a good, hard-working person. I, you know, I had my list. How dare she look at my not good? How, how dare she say when I t- took, took my courage up and explained my life, how dare she say that to me? But you know, it's been the best gift. It's just been the best gift. Because she put me on a track that I didn't even know I wasn't on. I didn't know I needed to take responsibility for how I was feeling in my relationships. I didn't realize that I was creating in any way the things that were not working in my life. This teaching is just so wonderful because it actually gives us that message and helps us kind of find that message. But at that point in my life, I really felt that I would be happy when... My relationship came into alignment with highest good, and if all my kids shaped up and caused me no worry, because at that point they were causing me some worry. I was writing in my journal every day, and that went on for probably about, well, five years, I would say pretty much every day, where at the beginning I whined and bemoaned my fate and blamed everybody, and certainly I see now, didn't take responsibility for it, didn't know it was my responsibility. All of my meanness and some of my sweetness came out in my journal, but it was a new and novel thing to really look at my patterns over the course of time and see how I was framing, judging, pleading my case, proving my rightness, proving my righteousness. And then I wondered why these years my relationship wasn't exactly in perfect harmony and joy. So I was ready to read this story by Oshi, and I felt I actually understood a lot of the things that Oshi was talking about in the, in, the, in the realm of that we need to get ourselves to this point through spiritual practice, really, is what he's talking about. We need to get ourselves to the point that there's, a, there's something surfacing in our outer life. It's causing us distress. And we don't judge it. We don't judge it as good, and we don't judge it as not good. We don't even judge it as both good and bad. We just simply are a being. We just are being. 
ourselves. We're just being. And from that place with our energy not sucked out to analyzing it and problem solving it and figuring out who owns it and how I can get it out of the cell memory and stop hurting. From all of that, he said, just think of it as a cloud going by. Just a cloud going by. It's not real. Because it's just this moment. It's not eternity. It's not always going to be there. It's just there. Just notice it's there. And in meditation, what we do is we sit and we allow those random thoughts, and in my case, sometimes crazy, blaming thoughts, to race through our mind. And we see all these different pieces and voices going by. And if I hook myself onto the story of some of them and prove myself with my intellect, my meditation is no good. It doesn't do what it's supposed to do. I don't feel any better. I get up feeling caught in the fray of it all. So Oshi says, yes, that's our fragmented mind. But it's like clouds just going by. And in meditation, our task is to breathe and be centered and just to notice those thoughts going by and not hook ourselves to any of them. Until we come to a place where we just are a being meditating, aligned, in harmony, and we feel it. And then we can drop in to the next part of meditation, which is, I am opening to the universe itself, to spirit itself. I'm opening and I am now melding with all of life, one with life, experiencing that joy and peace and harmony and goodness, alive, vital, And when we do that enough, we can take that solidness inside us into our relationships and walk around, knowing when we're triggered and being able to breathe ourselves back a little bit, perhaps, to let it go by like a cloud, to love harmony more than being right, to be able to speak a truth that says, I love you, I'm sorry, please forgive my part in this, whatever it is, it doesn't mean I'm the wrong one, it just means I know that I have a part in this conversation. I'm sorry, please forgive me and thank you. This is, for me, the most scary work possible. I do not want to be wrong, and I certainly do not want to be wrong when it comes to my husband. And it has got me into hot water because the mind is, my mind is brilliant enough to dream up some kind of a little hole I can crawl through to prove that I wasn't responsible. It wasn't my fault. I was right all along and I had to do this. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, the weeks go by and the relationship is not, you know, the vibration isn't right. Do you know that feeling? The vibration's just right. You know, we're kind of talking. Nobody's not talking. But we're not in this wonderful, harmonious candles in the bedroom. We're sipping our cup of coffee, and life is good. I like this sticker, and it's a good reminder to me. And it says, take the sticker off your forehead, forehead that says, 
I want you to like me and put it on the mirror where it'll do some good. Because when we really honor ourselves, when we keep ourselves happy, when we take responsibility for what's happening in our life, when I don't own something that my friend or my spouse or my child is talking about, but I simply allow advice-free, listening, intently, open, then we create this wonderful feeling of intimacy, of that we are one. Rumi says that if every little irritation bugs you, how are you going to be smooth? And I think every little irritation doesn't bug me, but when I'm, you know, maybe it's the sad, angry, lonely, tired, when something's not maybe quite right in my life, I'm much more likely to get my tail in a knot and kind of ruin the day, ruin the week, ruin the year, ruin a few years. But I know when we are in alignment, and it is a gift that I'm willing to spend some work on myself to get below the surface mind and all these clouds that come into our life, back down to the heart of the matter, which is, I am present. We are both the thing itself. This is a wonderful world. I am here to evolve and grow and to nurture and support you in your growth. And yet I know that your journey is your journey. Dr. Larkin sent me these vows. And I see I have mm, not much time. So here's the vows. They're the new vows for probably a marriage. I will not take responsibility to make you happy or keep you happy. I will try not to be for you what you are not so that you could feel complete. I will not say it is love if I need you to feel complete. I will, I will not say it is love if I need you, if I need you to feel complete. In other words, if I need to feel complete by being in relationship with you. May we both share joy and love of who we really are with each other. I will not allow you to complete me, and I will not allow myself to think I can complete you. I promise to be free and to free you in our journey of becoming the self you have to love before you can give the overflow of that love to me. When I need you for the wrong things and the wrong reasons, I give you permission to tell me. And I give you permission to tell me that I am holding you responsible for what you cannot do and what you cannot give to any relationship. I don't think it was possible for me to understand what that was all about years ago when I started my journey. I really believe that if I looked after my partner and he looked after me and I was nice to him and he was nice to me and I told him what I liked and he told me what he liked, we'd be happy. But it just isn't the way life is, is it? We're called on a spiritual journey. All of these tools that we're working on and perfecting and using 
are here to make our lives better. You might meditate at the beach and everything goes wonderfully, but if we cannot take it into our relationships and transform them, it's really not at least what I'm hoping for. I'm really a work in progress on this. Rumi said, your task is not to seek love, but to find all the barriers within yourself that you have built against it. That's my story. Finding all those barriers, pride, needing to be right, not even knowing my own truth, not knowing what the truth even is, all those things that this center, this teaching, classes, reading, meditating, journaling, conversations that were enlightened conversations have just moved me tremendously on the path of integrating this into every particle of my being and into my psyche. Pema Children says, there's a reason you can learn from everything. You have basic wisdom, basic intelligence, and basic goodness. It's in us. We've got it. I don't know if you saw this show, but there was a group of uh, people that were kind of doing one of those joke video camera things, and they set up a fake temple, and they took a picture of a FedEx driver, and they painted his picture with spiritual garb all on and put it in the room, and then they put a big satin pillow there. They ordered something from the worker. The worker walked in. Everyone is there as if they are um, following a spiritual master. He comes in. They all bow. They all put their faces on the floor. He walks in. They take him to the front. They open the curtain, and they show him his picture. And they said, we have been waiting for you for generations, (laughs) O wise one. And the FedEx guy, you could see, doesn't know what to do. And they say, could you, could you just sit and share just one piece of your wisdom? So the FedEx guy sits down and says, life is a river. Oh, oh, hmm. And you will bump into stones and face rapids. But if you keep faith with your highest dream, you will come to the ocean of your dreams. FedEx man stood up and said, well, I've got to go and make a delivery. Out he goes. (laughs) But the postscript is, they did this to a number of FedEx guys, and every single one of them had something that really was very profound to say. I think Pema Children is right, that within us, there is basic wisdom, basic knowledge, that the answers are already inside us. And so when we are supporting our friend, counseling our sister, being a practitioner, one of the things that I am always needing to be reminded of is you have the truth. You have your answer inside of you. And what we all need is a receptive audience that simply opens our hearts and knows that that's the way it really is and waits for you to find your way. We always want to be close to our partners and we want to be close to each other. 
and we want to learn together and deepen and be all that we can do and perhaps you know, find our purpose, although my purpose seems like it changes and it's changed throughout a lifetime, much like my relationship with my husband has changed throughout a lifetime, that we're just not the same people that started off with his mom and dad and his mother getting coffee in bed. We have traveled so many journeys together and worn off so many of the bumps in our relationship and in our own spirits and in our own selves. Karma, according to Pema Chodron, is just the lessons that we all need to open our heart. To the degree that we didn't understand in the past how to stop protecting our vulnerable, soft spot of the heart. We're given these lessons to help us to open. This center is such a gift to this community, has been such a gift in my life, has really helped me grow up and deepen and understand a bigger idea about my life and what a successful life is all about. I honor the place within you each time I'm here. That place which I always know I can feel energy. It's so much easier to take what's going on on the outside of my life and set it down when I'm in this room in your energy. I walk out the door and I, I really feel like I've been able to just put it down and I'm in my clear, hollow, open vessel, vibrant, ready to live my life as the thing itself. I honor the place where the universe resides, the entire universe, the place within you of love and light and peace and truth. I honor the place within you when you are in that place in you and I am in that place in me. And there's only one of us. I always feel better when I'm here. I know I've got a long way to go and yet I also know I have absolutely arrived and that all is well. May you know all is well. May you feel that you have come home to yourself this Valentine's Day. And may you extend yourself in love and open your heart to receive the love that's all around you. Namaste.